What is going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Abby Cohn over Zoom video. Abby was born and raised in Texas. She grew up just outside of Fort Worth in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And she tells us about how she got into music. She started singing at a very early age. Her mom heard her singing along to, I think it was Barney, and realized, wow, she's actually in key. So at six years old, Abby started to take voice lessons. Her family was really into the rodeo. So early on, Abby would sing the national anthem at different rodeos. She started playing guitar at eight years old. Has a really funny story about her first guitar and taking it to her her first guitar teacher. At 12, she made her first trip to Nashville, and that's where she really fell in love with music and songwriting and knew from that point on she wanted to be a songwriter. At 16 years old, Abby and her family moved to Nashville, and she signed her first publishing deal. Abby talked about that experience, getting signed to a record label in the first week of March, right before the entire world shut down. She had her entire EP recorded and ready to go at that point, but uh, due to circumstances and you know the world being on pause and everything else, she couldn't release the EP until last year. We talk about the success of that EP and all about the new music she's been working on and the most recent song, which is called If You Were a Song. You can watch our interview with Abby on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be amazing if you subscribe to our channel. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, we would love it if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Abby Cohn. Yes, um, I'm Adam, and this uh, is an interview about you and your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. Wonderful. Can you hear and see me? Okay. Yes. Um, okay, great. Your hair is kind of hitting the mic. If that... Should I take my headphones out? You might be. It might work better. It, let, let, okay. Come on, trying. Let me take them out. <laughs> sometimes it's the computer audio is great, but sometimes. Is that better? Uh, maybe go back with the headphones. Sorry. <laughs> oh no. Okay. I hit them. No, that sounds good. It's okay, cool. usually with those like ones that kind of come down where like yeah. if your hair is like, <laughs> but that, this sounds fine. Okay, great. Amazing. Uh, so uh, first off, where I did read you're from Texas. What part of Texas? I am. I am from a small town called Argyle, Texas. Um, okay. For people who don't know Texas, I just say Fort Worth, but Argyle is north of Fort Worth. Um, kind of. Sometimes people will know it's by UNT, University of North Texas, like Denton, Texas. It's right next to there. Um, really okay. small town. I've heard of Denton, Texas. Actually, I've heard, yeah. so that makes sense. I have family in Plano, Texas. Okay, yeah. Which is close. kind of, I really think, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Yeah, DFW. Yeah, there you go. Um, what was it like growing up there? It was really good. Um, I moved to Nashville when I was 16, so I kind of feel like, I grew up in Nashville a little bit too. I'm sure. very, very Texas. Um, <laughs> my child, like my, my younger childhood was amazing. My family owns a ranch about an hour and a half outside of Fort Worth. Wow. Um, I'm the 
I have three older siblings, so I'm the baby of four. My family is like very um, like textbook Texas family. We mm-hmm. uh, not we. They all. Do you know what rodeoing is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, like they all they all rodeoed and stuff like that. And um, I like ironically um, am pretty afraid of horses, and it's weird. I have ridden yeah. a horse now. Um, but yeah, very like quintessential Texas childhood. Loved it. I love Texas. But growing up, you having your whole family into rodeoing, you didn't, you were not a horse rider. No, I, I'm not really sure why I kind of found my place in that. Uh, when I started singing the national anthem at the rodeos, um, and (laughs) this is so dumb. There's a, when you're like a baby, like two, three years old, there's like stick horse riding where it's like not a real horse. You literally like they, it's like a little kid event and you're like two and you, you ride a little stick horse and you like, oh, like run around stick the that barrels. has the horse head on <laughs> yeah. the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's like literally what I did as a child. Um, and then I think there's some pictures of me on a pony. I don't really know why, where my fear of horses started. I think I just saw a lot of like, I don't know. A lot of people get thrown off injuries. (laughs) And I guess I just really recognize the like power that horses have Uh when I was younger. And so I like them a lot and I can like be around them and walk them and touch them. I just, every time I've tried other than last year, I successfully like got on and rode for a while. But every time before that, I just, cause they can sense fear so I would yeah. just get on it and then they would move and then I would freak out and then they would freak out. And it was just like, okay, I'm much better just standing next to this next thing. to it. How did you face yeah. your fear and get on the horse? Um, well, I had, I have tried multiple times. Uh, and like I said, it just kind of like lasts for a couple seconds and I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. Uh-huh. Well, I really, for a song that was on my, uh, my EP, it's called King of the world. I went to Texas and filmed a video for it. And I just knew that I like had to do it for that video. Like I really wanted to do it. And I was just like, there was no something about like really wanting to be on a horse in that video just kind of was like the push that I needed to, to get me over the fear. And Mm -hmm. like the horse itself was very calm. I don't know for the, in the name of art, I got on, I got on the horse. I love that's a great song too. There's a, a line in it. I think I typed it out. Yeah, so you wrote uh, everything you say starts with an I, but I've never heard you say I'm sorry. I was like, damn, like that's a good line. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. That. But, um, um, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that. Uh, this is personal. I don't really care. But I wrote that song in like 45 minutes, like years ago, like five, six years ago. Um, and that line specifically was from a text message that I was reading from the person that the song is about and like the it was like a paragraph text and every single sentence literally started with an i and so that that line like came literally that's what happened that's funny that no it's not funny that you received the text message but the 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 response in just one sentence is (laughs) is so good yeah yeah um Wow. So you got into music at an early age. It sounds like you're singing the national anthem at the rodeos pretty early on. Yeah. The first time I sang the anthem, I was six. Wow. I, my mom's my mom tells me that I just she heard me singing to Barney, um, like the theme song and stuff. And it just was like oddly on key for like a two or three year old. And then 
I think around the time I was six, I was into singing enough to want to like go to voice lessons. And I think I asked my mom, like, can I, can I get a vocal teacher? Um, and this teacher that I went to usually didn't take kids until they were like nine or 10. And she just heard that I was, I'm not like, I wasn't like amazing, but I was like singing on pitch. You know what I mean? Um, and really wanted to do it. So she took me in early. And so I started vocal lessons when I was six. And then um, in Texas, there's like, uh, like Opry's, like, like little, like miniature Grand Ole Opry's, you know, mm-hmm. they're the same thing essentially. And so I sang at all the Opry's in Texas. Um, and it was, it's, I love that about Texas. Maybe other states have it, but I wouldn't know. I love that about Texas because it gives like younger kids that like to sing like a place to sing other than like bars and stuff right. with a live with, with really great live musicians. So I started doing that when I was nine and then I kind of found my like home Opry. It was in Grapevine. It was called the Grapevine Opry. And I sang every weekend there pretty much until I moved to Nashville. So really, wow. Were yeah. you doing just like all cover songs at that point? Yeah, it was pretty much just covers any like, and it's like, I would say it was a more, it was a crowd that liked traditional country more. So I sang like a lot of traditional country songs, mm-hmm. which I loved because that's what I was raised on. So it just gave me like a, a place to learn how to perform um, on stage. And then obviously with a band and it was like a, a really good thing to like be consistent in my life for a long time. Yeah. It's a totally different uh, obstacle with the band, right? I mean, you, if you're thinking of singing a song to just uh, like a karaoke almost version of it, uh, what the band's doing might be a different tempo or it, totally, it might change a little bit. Just being able to adapt, especially at that age, that's For quite sure. a skill to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. It's something you have to learn at some point. And I'm glad that I learned it so early. Mm-hmm. Do you come from a musical household? It sounds like your family is in, into the rodeos, but is anyone else? musical or either your parents did they play an instrument my, I, my mom like when she was in high school I think she sang in choir and then my dad like no one nobody plays instruments uh although my dad has like an affinity for guitars like he just likes he just likes them and mm-hmm. likes buying them um, <laughs> that's cool yeah he does he honestly does like a really good Elvis impression everyone's like I, I would say that my parents can like definitely carry a tune, although they're not like musicians. I think I had a great grandfather that was like a really great banjo player. Mm-hmm. I, but I think I'm kind of the first like serious musician in my family. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Like, it sounds like your, your family is very um, supportive of it as well to get you into voice lessons and, and where you're singing the national anthem at six and yeah. supportive in that way and moving, I guess, to Nashville, maybe that's a part of the story, but uh, I want to get to that. But with guitar, what was that uh, a skill you picked up? Like how old are you when you started learning guitar? I started learning guitar when I was eight. I started wow. guitar lessons. Yeah. Um, my, it was kind of a, there's a funny story about my first guitar. There was this, uh, there was this guitar at my house and I just picked it up one day and I was like, dad, where's this guitar from? And it was like a really old, I think it's literally like a 55. I don't know the model, but it's a Martin. It's like a really old Martin. And my dad, there's like, the story is crazy about it. My dad, when he was in college, this is hilarious, but he was looking for a typewriter. And so he went to a pawn shop looking for a typewriter. And there was a guy walking in with a guitar and a typewriter. 
And so he stopped the guy before he even got into the door and was like, Hey, I came to, I came to get a typewriter. Could I buy that from you? And the guy was like, Oh, I really want to, I'm trying to sell them both together to get more money. And he was like, okay, I guess I'll buy the guitar too. How much do you want for it? And he was like, what about 18, 18 bucks for the typewriter (laughs) and the guitar. And so this guitar, which is like, I'm sure worth a lot more today. He got it for like $9. And this, it's the only guitar I had. And I brought this guitar to my, uh, to my, the, the guy that I started taking lessons from his name's Curtis when I was like eight or nine. And he was like, this is your this is your guitar he was like this should be in like a glass case somewhere and i was like oh i don't know it's the only one i have it's still at my parents house but yeah i started guitar at eight or nine um just really fell in love with it i'm so glad i started learning um really early yeah oh my gosh a 50s martin that's yeah Yeah. that's gotta be worth thousands i would imagine yeah probably (laughs) so when you guys realized that it was worth a lot of money did you switch it out and get a different guitar yeah, I ended up okay. getting, um, I still play it. It's a, God, I'm so bad with model, model numbers and everything. Yeah, no my main, my main two guitars I play right now are an Emmylou Harris Gibson and then uh, the Martin that I ended up getting when I was like nine or 10 after I was like, oh yeah, I probably shouldn't play this anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's cool. So once you started learning guitar, were you learning uh, then like doing cover songs that playing maybe some of those ones that you were singing at the Opry? Yeah, the first song I learned on guitar was um, More Like Her by Miranda Lambert. Oh, cool. It's like kind of my, I really learned that country, like a lot of country songs really are like four chords. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just like a simple song for me to learn. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I it, it kind of started, I obviously learned theory and stuff like that, but I would just bring songs to my guitar teacher and he would... Um, I was big on like, I just want to learn how to play songs. Like I cared about the theory, but I cared much more about like, just teach me how to teach me chords, you know? And yeah, luckily think, country, I country say, songs I th- are simple. Yeah. That's, I feel like the people that will carry on and, and actually enjoy it are learning in that way. Like I've, I've interviewed a lot of people that are like starting on piano and it's like, I quit because the teacher wouldn't teach me anything other than how to play the notes and theory. And, and I get the the structure behind it, but if you're trying to keep a kid interested, you'd have, I would imagine throwing them a bone as far as like, yeah, okay, we'll teach you this Miranda Lambert song or we'll teach you this. But yeah. Back to this. I'm bit. one of, I'm one of the kids that quit piano lessons because the teacher wouldn't teach them anything, but like theory, <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to know chords. Yeah, it's weird. I don't get it. I, I always say I want to start my own. Like, I can't play piano. I can play chords. But if I just taught kids how to play <laughs> chords and yeah. songs that they want to learn instead of being like, okay, this is how you do this. It's just mm-hmm. like this. And there, there's, that's got to be a lucrative business. I would assume. For sure. There's well, YouTube now. Oh, that's true. That would that would definitely price me out. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what took you to Nashville? How did you get there like did you guys take a vacation there or was it somewhere you always wanted to land I mean to get there at 16 that's pretty incredible. yeah so early um I think that um I did take a trip to Nashville my first trip to Nashville was when I was 12 and I went to the Grand Ole Opry and I saw Vince Gill for the first wow. time um biggest Vince Gill fan ever I've actually gotten to work with him in the last few years which is crazy. Um, I'm just a huge Vince Gill fan. And so I saw him at the Opry and then I ended up going to a songwriter round, which was weirdly Jenny Gill, his daughter was in, um, 
the songwriter around and it was at the very first listening room in Nashville. And so that trip kind of like allowed me to see like the stage artist performer perspective and then also like the songwriter perspective. And I think once I saw mostly the, the writers round, I just, something about it was like, that's really that something like really drew me to that. And I Mm -hmm. started, um, I just, I started, I think I met um, some people that were doing that round and then weirdly started meeting people to write with when I was 12. And so I've been co-writing since I was 12. And then, yeah, something about that first trip just really like lit the fire. And then like you said earlier, my parents sound really supportive. Like if I could say anything about my parents, it's just how truly supportive they have been of I mean, all their kids, but me and this journey, because um, mm-hmm. everything has just been like from helping me facilitate the things that I want. And so that first trip really like lit that fire. And then I just got really hooked on, I obviously had already been, per- I know it's weird because I was so young, but I had been performing for like years with the band. But I think that the thing that that did it for on that trip was was seeing songwriters. And so... It just kind of like, it's honestly kind of a blur, but it just like snowballed. And I started coming back probably like once a month from the time I was like 14 on. And then I finished freshman year in high school in Argyle. And then, like I said, it's kind of a blur. So at some point I asked my mom if I could finish school online. And then I was already spending, it was because I was already spending a week out of every month here, even when I was 15. So it was getting really hard for me to, to keep up with like the, the schoolwork from Texas. Sure. And so I asked if I could just go fully online and spend more. I kind of asked if I could flip it, if I could spend a week in Texas and then the other three weeks in Nashville and it just worked out. And I ended up getting a publishing deal here when I was 16 with a small company yeah. So I got my first publishing deal when I was 16. And then for some reason, from a very young age, it was like, get a record deal, get a publishing deal. Then like, those are the two things I need. So I did the publishing deal by the time I was 16. And then from, from then on out, it was just like, it felt like I literally woke up every day and was like, what do I need to do today to like, to get a record deal? And mm-hmm. I ended up working when I was 17 at the listening room. I was a hostess and I just met songwriters and it kind of helped that I had a publishing deal to kind of give me that credibility. Mm -hmm. And then I just found, found my people and kept writing. Wow. Yeah. To let, I mean, at 12, having people allow you to to write with them, that must've been a big deal. I would think like if some 12 year old girl (laughs) was like, Hey, I want to write a song with you. Well, most people would probably be like, okay, yeah, sure. But yeah, I, you were able to. I know it's um, like I said, it's just a blur. I don't really like, I don't really remember how it all happened, but it did. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. And so once you get this publishing deal, are you then, because from what I gather from that, you get to write songs with people for and pitch those to artists, right? You're not, they, you get signed on as a, for a publishing deal, not as an artist yourself. Is that kind of what it is? I can't remember. I feel like, I feel like there's kind of two ways of thinking with that. 
from like a publisher perspective, it's like if you're signing a writer artist, I feel like it's kind of understood that they're probably going to write more for themselves okay. versus it's kind of, it's kind of obvious. Like if someone's just a writer or a writer artist, you know, right. I personally would love a career like Julia Michaels to where I could write huge songs for other people, but then also put my own music out. That would be amazing for me. Mm -hmm. But, um, a I honestly was writing for myself, even at, even at 16. And, and what were you'd pitch? You were writing for yourself, but you'd also have to work and pitch songs to other people. It, it wasn't really, I wasn't, it was with a really small company. And I think that they kind of wanted to help me develop as an artist. So it was honestly, even though it was a publishing deal, it was still focused on, my development as an artist, which I feel like a, a role of publishing nowadays is like, I feel like they do dabble in artist development too. That's so cool. it wasn't, it wasn't like a super writer focused publishing deal pitching for other artists. Like they, the company had had an investment into developing me as an artist too. That's amazing. And were you yeah. then like, what was kind of, I mean, you get the publishing deal, which is a huge milestone in your in your story. But like after that, what was the, kind of the next big thing to happen to you or what was the next stepping stone to elevate your career? Yeah. So about probably 16 to 20. So I was in that publishing deal for a couple of years and then I ended up getting another one uh, when I was 18. And then I ended up signing a record deal in I was in negotiations towards the end of 2019, but I ended up signing a record deal in March of 2020. Oh, Pre-pandemic <laughs> like, or yes, like full like, lockdown? Uh, oh my gosh. No, like pre-pandemic. Pre um, so that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, oh my gosh. So you get this deal finally, the thing you kind of been hoping always for. Wanting. Yeah, always wanting. And then you're like, okay, awesome. I signed this record deal. Oh, now the world's shut down. Obviously, taking this, it, it was horrible for everybody, but having that opportunity, do you feel like it was kind of taken from you? Or like, how did you adapt to that? So the EP that I have out currently that I put out in April of mm -hmm. 2022, I recorded that project in 2019 before I even got a record deal. And oh I was supposed gosh. to, I was supposed to put that out in June of 2020. And then when the pandemic happened, it everything just, got pushed. everything got pushed until April of 2022. So yeah, it was hard in all the ways one could imagine. I think for me, like the biggest thing was like, Oh no, this thing that I have wanted, the one thing I've wanted is not panning out how I thought it would because mm -hmm. of like the weirdest circumstances one could ever, <laughs> ever think right. of. Yeah. Um, and I think almost from like a, I mean, it's been mentally, emotionally, like spiritually such a journey for me since, since that happened. But I think the biggest thing is like, because I had put such an emphasis on getting a record deal from such a young age, I think a part of me um, decided that like, once I get that record deal, then I can focus on being happy, uh, really, really paying, like 
learning myself, like really focusing on, I don't know. And it sounds kind of drastic, but like almost like my life truly begins once I get that record deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've talked about this before, but just something about how much emphasis I put on it then for it to not go how I planned it was just like, it really shook my reality. And so I had a really, really hard time for probably like two, two and a half years, um, figuring out how, how to move forward, you know, how to even function kind of just because nothing was happening. Um, and I had this project that I thought was going to launch my career. And then, although I'm very proud of it still, and I'm, and I think it is the most, or was the most accurate, um, music to put out to the world first, kind of my, you know what I mean? My first music for people to listen to, I put it out almost three years after I had cut it. So I felt like such a different person than just from a personal perspective than the music kind of where that was at. And I'm, and I'm, I was happy that I was so proud of it and the production and the songs like held up through those years. But I think just like aesthetically, I looked different. I was in a very different place mentally. So it was a struggle. It was a big struggle. A couple things about me. I am so indecisive, but I love to cook. That's why HelloFresh is perfect for me. Our family has been using HelloFresh for well over a year now, so we're so excited to have them on board supporting this podcast. Typically, I'll go to the grocery store with absolutely no plan. No idea what I'm going to cook for the week. Just going in there, kind of wandering down aisles, grabbing some things. I get home and realize I literally can make nothing. So HelloFresh makes this so easy. I can choose from over 40 weekly recipes. So not only does our family know what we're going to have on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but it saves me time going to the grocery store, either looking for one ingredient or trying to figure out what I'm going to be making. HelloFresh takes all of that hassle away by delivering fresh pre-portioned ingredients so you have exactly what you need, which will help me save my time. And it'll also cut down on a bunch of wasted food. I don't need to go buy a huge thing of spice and then I have to buy the big old tub of, you know, whatever it may be. And then it sits in my cupboard, taking up space, never to be ever utilized ever again. This doesn't just go for our delicious dinners. I mean, we do pick from the 40 weekly recipes, but you can also choose from over 100 items to round out your order, like snacks Easy lunches, desserts, stuff for the pantry. Everything arrives in one box on a delivery day that I choose. It comes every Wednesday. I know it's coming. My kids even love HelloFresh. I have a seven-year-old and a 15-year-old and just getting them to eat anything. Well, the 15-year-old, not so much, but the seven-year-old, so picky, loves the HelloFresh meals. Last night, we made the pineapple chicken tacos. It had some cabbage slaw, came with tortilla chips, green salsa, delicious and again all the ingredients come in the bag everything is right there for you hellofresh cares about the quality that's why their seasoned ingredients are picked at peak ripeness and travel from the farm to your house in less than seven days and right now we're going to hook you up with 16 free meals plus free shipping go to hellofresh.com backwards 16 
and use the code BACKWARDS16 for 16 free meals plus free delivery. HelloFresh.com slash BACKWARDS16. Use the code BACKWARDS16 for 16 free meals plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Yeah, that would be very hard, especially if you're in a record deal from what I have you know gather is that you can't just release it when you want right so you've had these songs done you've got the ep ready and now you've got to sit on it for two years and in the meantime you can't really i'm sure you were still writing a bunch and you can't do anything really right man i honestly was so down that for 2020 the entirety of 2020 i did not write a single song i just couldn't really even get myself to write about what I was going through, which is really weird for me because that's all that I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was just so much for me that I didn't, I wasn't ready to like get it out. I started writing again in January of 2021. Um, But yeah, like you said, like I didn't really, you can't really know what having a record deal is like until you have one. Mm -hmm. And so while I'm grateful to have, I think the biggest thing I'm grateful for is to know what it's like to have a record deal and to have learned truly. I didn't realize that when you sign a record deal and this might sound silly, but I didn't, but I didn't know this, that you are given a release date and that release date is based off of all of their other artists and what their release dates are. So if there's an artist that's bigger than you, that they have a record coming out, like you don't like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're going to, they want to put that, that record out and do the promotion and all the stuff behind that. Precisely. Record. Yeah. And you and kind it's, of it like back. felt like the hunger games to me. <laughs> I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that. And that was really, um, yeah, I, I just learned so much throughout that experience. Yeah. Well, you're an independent artist now, correct? I am. I That's am. Huge. I've been independent. So huge. I, like I said, I learned so much from that experience, which I just am so grateful for because now I can move forward knowing what, if I am to sign another record deal, like what to look for, what was missing, mm-hmm. what I really want and need from that. Um, you know, how it feels when it's not working versus how it should feel when it is working. Just all the things that I are important to me, I really I've kind of honed in on that. And yeah, I've been an independent artist for about, I don't know, seven, eight months. I'm uh, working up to putting out my first independent release this Friday. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to hear the song. I'm going to talk to you about it. It's, it's a really, really good song. Thank you. Thank you. So it feels, it feels, I don't, can, I can't cuss on the show probably. Yeah, it you, feels, can. you can say whatever you want. I was going to say it feels fucking amazing to there you go. just be able to, put music out when I want to and like to the music that I'm putting out like matches up to where I currently am as a human because I wrote it six months ago and I cut it and I put a plan together and like just that freedom is like what I feel like I deserve as an artist and until I until I find a I think that maybe ultimately the goal for me would be another label partner at some point in time. I just have learned too much to 
to go back to something that isn't enough for me. And I'm kind of like, I'm going to build something that allows me to walk in, in a very different position than I was in when I signed my first record deal right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just really enjoying the freedom of being able to like say what I want and make what I want and post what I want. And there's honestly nothing better. Yeah. It's interesting just because how the tables have turned in the, in the, in the music industry, when it comes to those things, like, Sure, there's gatekeepers still, but there's also so much more freedom that could be had, especially if you're building your own brand with, you know, the, the power of the Internet. Right. I mean, you could. Get out your song and, and j just as many listeners and as many fans as, you know, having a, a label or not. It's like it's a little bit more level of a playing field. Obviously, uh, some of those people have more connections and, and money to, to put into it, but right. still like it's it's your the ability to build your own brand and your own thing is is mm -hmm. way more i feel like attainable in this day and age yeah it's like if if as an artist if i'm not putting out music what why what am i doing you know right. like it's like as a creative person if i'm not in a situation that is allowing me to consistently put out music like that's just it's like this is I think that's one big thing that I struggled with in my past situation was I felt like I was going like, Hey everyone, like this is my life. This is, there is no separation here between like, Oh, this is just my job. Like this is my life. Like this, this affects my mental health. This affects everything. This affects the entire trajectory of my life. And I, this is everything I've wanted since I was nine years old. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, if this isn't, uh, a, if this isn't a priority, I need to move on so that I can figure out how to get to where I want to go. Because I just felt like I was in a situation looking around at people who, who my success or failure didn't affect the trajectory of their life. It only affected mine. So mm -hmm. that was really hard on my mental health. And yeah, I just kind of came to a point. I was like, I don't care if it takes me twice as long if I have the freedom to consistently put out music. Right. Cause if you're not putting out music, then people are going to forget, right. They're going to be like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I forgot about Abby. She yeah. had that one song. It's like, You're I don't like, want yeah, to, I don't, on these other ones. right. Right. It's like, I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to sit on TikTok and sing covers and have it put out music, like original music in a year. You know, it's like, I feel like, like the, the obviously social media is such a, um, driver for people finding music, but at some point it's kind of like, okay, I posted this cover that has 2 million views. What a concept to then be able to have current new music out for all those 2 million people that just saw this cover to go click on to then discover me as an artist. Like I'm not, right. it's like, I'm not, I don't want to waste my time posting on social media if I don't have anything for those people to then go and find. You know, right. it just feels like a, a black hole. <laughs> or you don't want to be known like, as the person that just does covers, right? Right. I feel like it all has to work together. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like whatever you pop up on social media for is you can't really control that. Right. You know? But I feel like when there is, I think one thing that I have been missing throughout the last three years that now I have the freedom to create for myself is a plan just like mm -hmm. a strategic plan moving forward of like, okay, what music are we dropping this year? When do we want to put out an album? Like I haven't even been able 
like I haven't even had no one even had discussions with me about like putting out a record, you know, and that as an artist, like I have always looked forward to the day that like I get to put out my debut record and I'm not there yet. I'm not in that place. I, this year is more about just like getting some of this new stuff out that I've been working on mm-hmm. while I'm writing about everything that I've gone through and am going through right now. But I think like with a strategic plan in place for releases with great consistent content on social media with a great team. It's like all those things are what makes a career really launch to me. And so that's just what I'm working on right now. I've always felt like it, the wheels were like stuck, you know, it just wasn't working like a, like a well-oiled machine. A hundred percent. Yeah. I could, I could definitely see how that would be uh, frustrating in the least, but I, like you said, though, the songs that you wrote for that, that EP, like they obviously held up and they're, they're great songs Thank because you. when, when you finally get a chance to release it, you've got like some, some big hits on there. I mean, you're getting a lot of love from, from those songs. Thank you. I, um, I really love that EP. Like I said, like, I feel like I'm really, I think I knew that it would hold up like during the pandemic and stuff. I wasn't really worried about when the music came out, what, like if it, if it was going to be inaccurate to who I was musically mm-hmm. um, be- because I just knew that it was good and I felt really proud of, of it. I do f- feel like, yeah, I do feel, I hope that my honestly like continuing to put out new music only helps that EP because I don't feel like it got to live like its fullest life even though it has like um done really well i'm just i'm still excited for people from listening to new music that i'm putting out to go back and discover that because i just really love that that ep yeah it's a great yeah all the songs are really good and it's got millions of streams on spotify alone so thank you something definitely to be proud of uh the new one though if you were a song i i think that's such a it's a really 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 great um song can you tell me about that like when was was this written i mean uh, having that big of a gap where you're just kind of sitting around waiting um (laughs) that must have been hard to do and you probably wrote a bunch of songs between those times so tell me about this one and why you decided to put it out as kind of the next release after the ep this one was written in i think june or july of 21 I wrote it with Nate Cypher and Nathan Spicer, who's my boyfriend and my producer, Nathan is. Um, uh, That writing combo, me, Nate, and Nathan, we wrote Thought About You on my EP, Um, which like if you listen to both of, if you were a song and Thought About You, they kind of like, they seem like they were written by the same people. They have, I don't know. I'll have to go back and listen to the other one. Yeah, Nate's based in LA and like everything we write just has kind of like a West Coast energy to it even though Mm -hmm. he comes here to nashville but we wrote this in july and i think that i came in no i came in with the hook i'm a big mostly i i try to come into a room with the hook i love titles and so i was just like i don't know guys i think it would be cool if we wrote a song called if you were a song like that sounds at first i was like before i even threw out the title i was like this is lame like this sounds this is gonna sound like a lame title but it's like I like that it's so basic and if we could do it in a way that's not written in a basic way and then produce like really cool and fresh, I really I was like, I would love the juxtaposition between 
such like a simple title and like a little less simple production. And so we just had a great time writing it. It was a lot slower at first. We sped it up a lot during production. And I think like we wrote the chorus first and we were just really careful about like every line writing really well to that, to, to the hook. Mm-hmm. And I love how it turned out. And I think the reason I, I just kind of knew once we cut it, that it would, that it would be the first one I would like to put out. is just because it has, it feels like an extension of my EP, just kind of like an evolved, uh, an evolved version of me. Mm-hmm. And I honestly just like the energy. It's kind of just, I don't know. I just kind of knew that's the one I'd like to put out next. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an amazing song. And I just love your writing style as far as your, the way you write lyrics, even that, that song is really, uh, you know, throwing, you talk about throwing a tip in the tip jar. So they play the song, but you're talking about the person, if they were a song and then like getting it, hearing on the radio or whatever, like just all these little like tie-ins to how people will receive music. I think that's really, it was really Thank clever. You. Thank you. Yeah. And is this going to be part of you? you, I mean, you obviously said at one point you want to put a full album out, but you probably have other songs done and ready to go. I do. I think that this year is going to, because I do have the freedom to do whatever I want. (laughs) I, I like the idea of right now, just dropping a song every, every six weeks, you know, every eight weeks max. Um, I don't love the format that kind of is a thing right now of like you drop three songs and then, or even four, and then you drop one more and it compiles into like an EP. Uh, And it's like my EP is dropping on Friday and I'm like, but I've already heard everything except for everything except for one song (laughs) i i think they do it maybe for like algorithm or something i don't know i won't be doing that i don't think just because i i don't i don't love that for me personally so i feel like ideal perfect world is i would just release singles this year working up to an album in the first or second quarter of next year and i don't know what that so I think that every I'm kind of considering from a writing perspective, everything that I'm currently writing right now mm-hmm. is for that album, oh, cool. which really excites me. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And what you have coming up is so uh, huge as well. You get CMA Fest you're playing. I saw that you're going to be doing Stagecoach, which is another yeah. gigantic. I mean, those are like the biggest country festivals. I know. I, um, I've known about Stagecoach for a while, obviously. I didn't know until like probably like a month ago or so my agent sent me like the full deal memo and I looked in it and said main stage. And I was like, no, this has to be wrong. Like, why would, why would they put me on the main stage? And I just, I just assumed this whole time I would be playing like a smaller stage uh-huh. or whatever. But I'm the first opening main stage slot on Saturday, which is Whoa. lit. <laughs> Um, my parents are coming out. It's a 20 minute set. So I'm really stoked about that. Um, yeah, it's just like, honestly, the next couple of months have shaped up to have some really great shows. I've accepted some that I haven't really even announced yet. They're kind of more like Nashville industry ish Mm -hmm. vibes. Um, but, um, it feels kind of like something about me shifting, shifting around some like stagnant 
energy in my career and just like making some decisions that felt scary. But I knew that like, I'm just a big believer in if you, if I've gotten really comfortable in the last couple of years with the feeling of being like, okay, well, I'm going to jump off this cliff, not knowing what's in front of me because it's got to be better than what's currently happening. You know, like I've, I've gotten a lot less scared of the unknown. Mm-hmm. And I think that I've had to make some decisions in the last few years that felt like jumping off a cliff and not knowing what was in front of me. And that has like paid off for me big time, just as far as like in the last couple of months, like opportunities that have, have come to me and, and people that have showed up that really believe in me. And I'm kind of like putting this team together um, like an independent team. And I'm just like, fuck yeah, this rocks. This is what I've always wanted for people to just be like, what can we do? We believe in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so. that you're going to be massive to be honest. I mean, Thank your you. songwriting is so good. And just the, the, the way you write lyrics, it's just really relatable and the hooks are, are all there. And um, I think you deserve the main stage of stagecoach, <laughs> which I've never been to stagecoach. I'm originally from, from San Diego, but I, I live in Nashville now too, but um, I, I would go to, that. yeah, I'd go to Coachella a lot. I would, you know, I'd been a bunch of times and just, I'm, it's the same space that they do stagecoach and yeah, those stages are huge and it's going to, you're, I think you're going to I know gonna it's going to be the fun. biggest stage I've ever been on. I mean, insane. <laughs> There's probably yeah. going to be like 20 people there, but that's fine. I saw no, a video. There'll be a lot of, of people. Uh, trust me. They, they, people get in there. It's like a whole thing. I don't know I what mean, to expect. I just know that I have like, this will be kind of like I'm bringing merch and I've never really had merch before. And my merch designs because no one's the boss of me right now are like <laughs> so funny. It's like me flying on a UFO through the desert. It's like one of my <laughs> merch designs. Um, I saw a video on TikTok the other day of, I think it was 2017. It was Billie Eilish playing her first festival. And uh-huh. there was like literally like 10 people there. And then she's Billie Eilish now. And I was like, God, please. Like, Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I hope you there's s- videos. I hope that's one of these moments. It will be because I've seen, uh, I remember seeing, in t- I think it was 2002, at Coachella, the Killers were the first band. They played at like noon on Friday. And Damn. People, now they're one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah. So it's like you see those. If you go back, I'm sure if you looked at a bunch of old either Coachella or Stagecoach uh, uh, lineups, mm-hmm. and you look at the bottom row of, of I bet every single the one. Tiny, have, the tiny Yeah, the, the little print where you need like a magnifying glass. It's like your eye, your eye exam for the year. Yes. And you will see so many artists on there that you're like, damn this person played at noon or whatever and yeah. you're on saturday is it friday saturday sunday or just saturday sunday it's friday saturday sunday yeah so people are camping out they'll be yeah. in there i mean and i think a legit it's, slot it's, it's really cool because i just got to tour in california at the end of last year from the cmt tour mm-hmm. um you said you're from san diego and i had never been to san diego before and i like I fell in love with San Diego while I was there. I was like, mm, awesome. I need like, I need like $6 million so I can buy a house in La Jolla. <laughs> yeah, in La Jolla, um, right. <laughs> God, it was so good. But I, I'm glad that I got to tour there because I do have like some, I mean, it's like, like 10 girls, you know what I mean? That are yeah. coming to Stagecoach just from me touring on that CMT tour with Maddie and Tay. So, That's so awesome. I love, I love playing in California. Yeah, I'm stoked. That's awesome. Yeah, the, um, uh, the best comment about san diego i've ever heard was somebody called it uh 
LA's cooler younger brother. I was like, I like that. <laughs> it's so true. I love uh, LA, but you get there and you're like, oh my God, I feel like it's overwhelming. Everyone's, I feel like it's a, like a, I don't know. I feel like everyone's looking at you just judging so hard. Oh, of course. How many Instagram followers do you have? Um, but, <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this, Abby. I'm so excited uh, for thank everything you. you have coming up. That's amazing. Um, I have one thank more you. question. Yeah. I did see you, you you quoted somewhere. Well, my question is if you have any advice for aspiring artists, but I, I saw a quote that you said the best advice was given to you from your dad. And I'm wondering if it'll be different than uh, to an aspiring what artist. I, what did I say was my... Something about boys are trash or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> my dad did tell me growing up boys are trash. Um, I think, I think maybe two things as far as from like an industry advice, I think that I would give to a new artist is figure out what your, what your vision for yourself is, because if you don't have one, someone else will impose their vision on you. And I think that if, if you have a vision and know what you want, it only helps your team be able to then go and, and help you facilitate those things. If you don't have a vision for yourself and, and kind of like, I mean, literally like a list of things that you, you know, I think when I say vision, I kind of mean like a little bit esoteric of like, this is where I, this is, this is my vibe. This is where I see myself, but then also kind of like goals, like big and small to then be able to, if you have a team around you to, to give them a job to do, to be able to let them thrive at their job. I think that's really important um, because if you don't have one for yourself, someone will tell you what that is and you don't want that. So I think from an industry perspective, that's, um, that's advice that I would give. And then maybe from a personal perspective is just, and this is what I'm trying to do right now. Like I'm almost giving myself this advice. I think for so long, I really wanted the, the down the middle career, the radio, the CMA award. And I still like, if, if those things, I, I, I'm not saying I don't want those. That would be incredible if country radio accepted me and if this community accepted me. But I think my main objective and priority right now is just to go find my audience, like just to find those people that connect with me regardless of, of the industry templates that people kind of want you to fit into. So just be yourself and find your audience. That's when honestly, that's when things kind of have started to happen and feel just feel a lot better for me as to when I refuse to, to be anything but myself. So it sounds cheesy, but, but that's it. 